Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. This episode, we're joined by Connie Hilker of Heartwood Roses, which is located a little north of Fredericksburg, Virginia. Hello, Connie. Hi, Kathy. How are you doing these days? Um, I'm doing great. The garden looks wonderful. I'm, I'm, there, there, there are a few diversions, so I spend an awful lot of time out there talking to the, to the plants. <laughs> I know. It's a wonderful diversion. It's been other than the whole COVID situation, I think it's been a, a beautiful spring. Oh, completely agree. A, uh, a mild winter, and then we've had adequate rainfall and moderate temperatures. It's been wonderful for the garden, and the humans appreciate it, too. Mm-hmm. And how are your roses doing? They're beautiful right now. Most of the modern roses out there are in full bloom, so... There's, at last count, there's 500 and some odd roses out there, and bloom usually goes from late April into mid-June, so we're smack in the middle of that right now, and it's pretty glorious, but it's um, (laughs) all the COVID stuff. It's my eyes only. So uh, do you have an open garden scheduled or had done one recently? We did. um, I did open garden uh, the weekend after Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, what things weren't quite in full bloom, but there was a lot for people to enjoy. And generally, there's an awful lot of competition for events in May, and so many choices for people. Well, right now there are so there are very few choices, and we had about seventy people here throughout the day, and everybody behaved themselves. Good. They wore their masks when they were close. They took them off when they were far, and it was a great day. Yeah, that's so good that at least people were able to go out, socially distance, and view those roses at their prime. Um, That's one thing at least we can indulge in a little bit, um, you know, as long as the crowds stay smaller. And they did. Um, I I was expecting to have to shoo people apart and make sure that everyone behaved themselves, but that wasn't the case, that it was a great day. That's terrific. So Heartwood Roses, tell me um, how you started it. Oh, well, Heartwood Roses, it used to be a rose nursery because mm-hmm. getting your hands on um, heritage and old garden roses can be a little bit tricky. Um, and there was no place around where you could just drive in the D.C. area and visit these roses and buy them and take them home for your own garden. Usually you see them somewhere Mm -hmm. and you have to order them online, which is fine. Uh, That's where most of the ones that are here came from. And it was sort of, it was a bunch of friends and we were sitting around talking. It's like, what are we going to do? And they said, well, Connie should start a nursery. (laughs) Okay, I'll start a nursery. Um, And for six years, I had an old garden rose nursery here on the property. It was open on weekends, in season. Um, But to be honest, most of my business was online ordering and shipping. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they're they're, they're customers for this all over the country. And maybe a few customers as gardeners in this area. Because I find I do a lot of education. And that's where Heartwood Roses has gone. Um, the nursery closed in, in 2012, discovered that as a one woman operation, I could either grow pretty little plants in pots for other people's gardens, mm-hmm. or I could work on my own garden. And I discovered I couldn't do both of them. So my plants that I sold looked great. My garden looked horrible. Mm. And I can so relate to that, Connie. <laughs> uh, I'm sure yes. just about anybody who has a business doing something like this can absolutely relate. And it was, it was a difficult decision. But what I realized is that it had evolved into more of the education aspect of it, 
what are heritage roses? How do you grow them? Where do you get them? Where do they come from? And I love the stories that are involved. And I think in the heart of it, I'm a storyteller and I'm a teacher. Give me an audience and watch me go and I'm going to teach you something. So it's been fun. Wonderful. So for our listeners, let's um, define a heritage or sometimes we use the phrase old roses and sometimes you hear the phrase heirloom roses. Are those all the same thing? Yeah, you know, they really are. Um, Back in, I think it was the 1960s, the American Rose Society decided that the term old garden rose was defined as one from a class that was before 1867. And it's like, I don't pay one bit of attention to the dates. Hmm. For me, I use Mm -hmm. the term heritage rose because it's a bit more fluid and it puts the emphasis where I think it should be onto the history of these plants in families. Because when I'm out doing presentations, I always have at least one person come up to me and they talk about a rose that used to grow in someone's garden. Um, Their grandmother's rose garden. And they would tell me Mm. about the feelings that, 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 that they remembered from that. And that's one of the reasons why I emphasize the term heritage just for the historic aspect of it. Hmm. And so uh, what is your, do you have a date cut off of say 1950 or 50 years or older? That's kind of where it ends up cutting off only because the rose industry changed so dramatically around 1945. Um, Mm -hmm. That's about the time when what we think of as an exhibition rose or a florist's rose or a hybrid tea got the shape that we're used to seeing. That high centered, pointy in the middle, garden plant, you know, sticks with a flower on the top of it. It was right (laughs) around 1945. But even at that point, um, my grandmother was a gardener. She was a rose gardener. She lived in Southern California. So she didn't have a whole lot of challenges when it came to diseases and certainly didn't freeze her plants to the ground. But she grew these old hybrid tea roses from the 40s and the 50s and into the 60s. And I still consider those as heritage roses also because so many of them have either vanished or they're nearly impossible to find. And that is my main focus now is um, we call it commercial extinction. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's out there. You see it in the garden. Can you buy it? So we're working on that, getting, trying to convince nur- the, the nurseries that are still out there that sell old roses to add some of these rare ones to their catalogs and to encourage people to buy roses from the nurseries who are doing this. Yeah, that's such a good point because so many rosarians want the newest, the, the most fashionable, the flashiest, and you know whatever the newest improved version is. And then there are collectors like you who are um, looking for the old and heirloom roses. And then there's that big gap, mid-century gap, where all of those roses have kind of fallen out of favor um, in both the industry and in home gardens. So it's great to hear that that you're um, on a mission to collect those. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, that's not a, that's not a recent problem. Reading back in mm-hmm. the old American Rose Society annuals and the articles that were written every year, that's been an issue all the way since the early 20th century. The focus on what's new. What are you adding to your garden? What are you buying? What's coming down the pipe from, um, from the various hybridizers and rose companies? And whenever you add something new, we all have limited space. Mm-hmm. Something has to give way. And often the ones that people choose to dig up, they're the ones that aren't performing well in their own garden. I'm going to admit that. But just mm-hmm. because it doesn't perform well in my garden doesn't mean it's not going to perform well in your garden. Absolutely. And then, so I was going to say, besides um, 
preserving the diversity and the history of the older roses, why would a home gardener pick a heritage rose for their garden? Ooh, that's a tough one. Ask me an easy question, Kathy. <laughs> um, I love them because of the diversity. Um, first and foremost, I was out with my camera in the garden. Um, right now, my ramblers are in full bloom. And I define a rambler as a large, once-blooming climber. They're, almost all of them are from around the turn of the 20th century, you know, the late 19th, very mm-hmm. early 20th century. They're completely carefree, but they're enormous. So I've got one that's 32 feet from tip to tip, but it's trained. Oh, she's trained on a fence, though. She's only five feet high, but she's mm. 32 feet across. And you don't get that kind of flowers from any other kind of plant. Where was I going with that? I All of a sudden, I got oh. this rose picture and I got off track. <laughs> Oh, so the benefits of older oh, roses yeah. and why a home gardener might add them ah, thank you, thank versus you, thank say, you. yeah, versus say some of the newer introductions or some, you know, something that was supposedly guaranteed. Yeah, we all, ha- well, we all have to try plants in our own garden. It doesn't matter whether they're mm-hmm. roses or anything else. But said, I, do, I love the variety, um, tall, short, fragrant, not large flowers, clusters of small flowers. There is... There's something in the rose world for just about every gardener, and there's room for every taste in the rose world. I have, um, I have friends, all they want is an exhibition-style hybrid tea, like you, um, like you grow, come from the florist, and they grow mighty fine roses, and I can learn something from them. Now, I would like them to learn something from me, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, old roses come in rambler as you say climbing and there's even ground cover absolutely ground cover um there some of them are tall and stiff some of them are short and round um there's dozens of different called classes which is just a category It's, it's just it's a way to classify them so we all know what we're talking about and hybrid tea is just one of the classifications mm-hmm. and i would say probably one of this maybe called a stumbling block um, for home gardeners to add more roses might be lack of sunlight. So the more shade you have, um, you could probably grow roses, but maybe not as floriferous. And see, that is why um, I readily admit I'm a very young rosarian. I planted my first rose 18 or 19 years ago, but I've been gardening for over 40. The reason is because in our first houses, I lived in I lived in wooded subdivisions and we just didn't have any sunshine and I tried mm-hmm. but they were wildly unsuccessful. The more sun you can give a rose the more successful you're going to be with it. With a few exceptions and we get back to the roses that bloom in the springtime only the ramblers um, that I mentioned earlier and some of the other spring blooming roses most of the time they'll get their sun before the trees in your yard leaf out. So if you plant them in a place that gets winter sun and springtime sun, by the time they're finished blooming, they're shaded by the tree canopy, sleeping, being green, a lovely background for the rest of your garden, and then they'll start the show over again next spring. That's a great tip. So what are what would be a few of those varieties? I'm thinking specifically of I have a Zephyrin Johene. Does that do well um, in the shade for you? I actually have it on a north facing um, on each side of my front step, almost full shade. Mm. Um, do I get a ton of flowers? No, <laughs> but I do get a few flowers at least out of it. And, and just those few give me so much joy. Well, th- that one... Um, I'll make you feel better. That one does not bloom very well after its spring flowering, its first spring flowering. Mm -hmm. It'll throw a few flowers here and there, but most of the time not. One that is an absolute star in my garden right now, and it never gets direct sun. It's, um, It's sort of in the dappled shade of a great big old cedar tree is, um, a hybrid musk called Robin Hood. Um, Mm. 
it's long and lanky, but instead of crawling along the ground, what it wants to do is like make a haystack. Think of a haystack about four feet high and it's about six feet wide and it drapes very gently. And the flowers are just the most beautiful, bright, fiery red. Mm. Yeah. That's a perfect name, Robin Hood. I thought so. Now, there's that. a number of other roses out there that go by the name Robin Hood, which always makes it super mm-hmm. con- super confusing. But this one's from 1927, and it's out there in, the, uh, in commerce. You can absolutely still get it. Nice. So let's um, go back to how about little Connie <laughs> and talk about how you became a gardener and then what – besides finally having sunshine, um, gave you the rosarian bug. Oh, see, I'm an, I'm an army kid, so we moved about every two or three years from the time I was born until I married and got out of the, well, out of the army, as I say. My dad was in the army. So we never really mm-hmm. gardened because we were either in a rental property for a couple of years or in, in government quarters, but... I would do strange things as a child, like I distinctly remember planting potatoes in a pot on the balcony, and I was devastated when those potatoes died later in the year. So mom dumped the pot and discovered that it choked itself. It was full of potatoes inside that pot. So yes, (laughs) I was successful. But I love experimenting with things, and I think that's what a gardener really is. We're mad scientists. Um, will it work? Can I try this? So um, I love things that grow. So planting things was just a natural extension of all of this curiosity. So I started with shade gardening. Um, In fact, here at this property, which has an awful lot of sun, the very first garden I put in is in the one little shady area I have um, in a grove of trees on the south side of the house. And then I branched out into sunshine. So, and when did you first connect um, with Heritage or Old Roses? Was it when you joined a rose society? Um, It was after I finished, I was a master gardener volunteer for a while. And I think it was the late 1990s when um, when I finished that. And then you're required to give however many hours, I think it was either 50 or 60 afterwards. And I ended up Mm -hmm. volunteering in downtown Fredericksburg at the James Monroe library. And the woman that I, that was my supervisor was the president of the Fredericksburg Rose Society. And we started talking roses. And I told her, I said, I, I've never been able to grow roses. And she, she looked at me and she said something that I have said to dozens of people since then. She says, well, if you think you can't grow roses, then you're probably trying to grow the wrong ones for your situation. And then we started talking and I just realized it was because I'd been trying them in the shade, um, not watering them. That, that's always a big one. And as we talked, I realized I could probably try this. And then the curiosity came. So I visited the Fredericksburg Rose Society, which is not around anymore. It's been gone for about 10 years now. And I met so many people who are generous with their knowledge and very welcoming to people who didn't know a thing. And shortly after that, you know something, and then you know more. And then the next newbie comes in, and you're able to help mentor them a little bit. It's just, it's a wonderful community of gardeners. And I'm, I'm just really pleased to be part of it. I totally agree with you, Connie. And I, I recently joined the Potomac Rose Society. Um, and it's so gratifying to meet some of those veteran and experienced rose growers and to get their advice um, for, you know, varieties, for care, for pruning tips. And they introduced me to... Um, rooting and taking cuttings from roses so now i'm off on that doesn't that make you feel like a mad scientist (laughs) well Mm -hmm. the one thing about and there's not a single person that you've met at that at the potomac rose society who is jealous with their knowledge they want to share it they want other people to know Mm -hmm. what they know yeah it's almost like a religious zealot 
<laughs> oh, I so love that. Once you're, yeah, once you're growing something, you have, you're like, you have to grow this. You have to have this rose. So um, there's a lot of sharing, not of just of information, but sharing of plants too, which is oh, marvelous. Yeah, um, my entire, you know, my garden is full of plants that came from either propagating from somebody else's garden um, were, were sent as, as cuttings from somebody that I maybe met online um, somewhere else in the country, or I have an extra plant here, I'll give this to you, and we share back and forth. So as I go through the garden, you just remember all the friendships and all of the situations where these plants came from. Yeah, it's so nice to be able to say this one came from Nick, this one came from Connie. So it's it's lovely to associate the roses, not just with their original stories, but also with that person that you have a relationship exactly. with. It's a concrete reminder of the community um, of rose growers and gardeners in general. And I did want to point out to listeners, um, your website, heartwoodroses.com. Is that the oh, correct it, website it, address? It's so completely dead, however. There's a few links there that are... <laughs> probably still good um every every winter Mm -hmm. i vow that i'm going to update the content i'm going to have a decent website and then every winter it gets beyond me that was that was my (laughs) commerce website i keep the domain because i would Mm -hmm. i would really like to make it into an educational site um there's uh, Mm -hmm. i think there's a tour of the garden on there there's a tutorial on how i was taught to propagate roses from cuttings, which is very timely right now because now's the perfect time in our area to start taking cuttings of not just roses, a lot of the other plants in your garden that can be propagated from cuttings. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I find that that rooting roses tutorial that you have um, to be super helpful. And I love that it's really a pictorial story. So it's, you know, step by step, one picture after another showing you how to root oh I think in pictures so that's perfectly normal for me um if Mm -hmm. I'm writing something I have to take a picture in my head and make it into words (laughs) yep I mean I would say that's extremely helpful for any listener who's interested in taking cuttings from roses or or other um shrubs say an azalea and creating new ones and then the other tutorial in pictures that you have there is are is the pruning ramblers and i i don't have a rambler yet i just planted the bishop um that i got from another rosarian so i'm looking forward to in future years being able to go back and consult your your pictorial oh, on that this is a great way to start because it's such a mannerly thing mine is long and thin it's just now finishing up its spring bloom it's been doing it for a month um not many mm. thorns on it. It's just, it's a very polite rose. It's a, um, I used to call it the gateway drug to once blooming old garden <laughs> roses because it, it is so polite. Um, it's not going to get out of bounds. It'll be great for your small garden. Really great. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I chose it almost specifically because of being close to thorn free and because of the dark, almost purple coloring. So I'm trying to create you know, a purple section to my garden. And I thought that would be perfect. You will absolutely love it. It's one of my very favorites. Um, I pointed it out to a number of people while they were here during open garden, because it's so incredibly fragrant Um, that that draws Hmm. you in from a distance. It's that fragrant. And so I'm going to put you on the spot and ask now that we're talking about fragrance, um, what are maybe say your top three or top five um, old roses for just for fragrance? Now this is a tough one only because I can't smell most roses. Um, I do not have Mm. that discerning of a nose. I know I can either smell it or not, but um, the Bishop and a lot of the other high, there's a few hybrid China roses that are similar, have that, old rose grandma's rose perfume fragrance that I can pick up and I adore that um Hmm. new dawn has a really lovely fresh fragrance yeah it almost has like a a lemoniness a a, Mm -hmm. a citrus to it and then 
a lot mm-hmm. of the roses, the ramblers have kind of a, I don't know what it smells like, but I know it's very fresh and it's just, it's a wonderful powdery fragrance to me. And my favorite is mm-hmm. when they all just kind of mix together and they blow on you on the breeze. Hmm. And I just love some of the ones that also have the apple note to them. Yeah. Like that fresh green apple scent. That's another, you know, that you're not expecting from now the older rose. Um, some of the David Austin roses, the, especially the earlier ones, have what they call a myrrh fragrance. Now, to me, it smells a lot hmm. like anise. It's very licorice-like. And that one came from one of the old Gallica roses. And it went through quite a few generations of his roses. There's one, I think it's Evelyn that has that fragrance really heavily. It's one that you either love or don't, Hmm. and I adore it. Yeah, I'll have to seek that one out. So um, besides fragrance, um, what are the other attributes that you look for in your favorite roses? Um, So is it long season of bloom is it particular colors that you're drawn to? What are your favorites and their variety names? In general, I look for roses that give me more than I give them. Um, it's a little bit selfish mm-hmm. in that way. Um, because with, <laughs> with more than 500 roses in the garden, I can't spend a lot of one-on-one time on each plant. So I mean, everybody, sometimes they just get a lick and a promise. And the ones that give me back more than that, are the ones I'm automatically drawn to. Um, here in our area, except in the really colder areas, like up, up north and west where you're getting up into the zones um, 6B and sometimes a cold 7A, china and tea roses um, fall right into that category. Metabolis is wonderful. Oh, Madame Lombard. Love that one. Yep. Safrano. Mm-hmm. Um, Archduke Charles is a China. They really don't get black spot. Hot and humid weather is where genetically they came from. They came from Southeast Asia. So our hot, humid weather is nothing for them. And their best bloom is actually in the summer. So when we're starved for a lot of garden plants that can put on a good show of flowers, the teas and the chinas are going to come right in and fill that need. Now, keep them watered. That's the one thing. Because when we're really, really dry, then they'll, any of the garden that, that's really, really dry will sort of go semi-dormant. So if you just keep them watered, mm-hmm. they'll give you flowers all year. And by watered, do you mean an inch a week? Or how much do you estimate for your roses? Textbook is an inch a week. Um to be honest, the way I see if my roses need to be to be watered is I don't use pruners when I when I deadhead. There's just too many flowers out there to do that. I tend to just grab the spent flower with my hand and sort of twist and break it off. And if it snaps, then I know that the water that the rose is well watered. If it sort of bends and is rubbery, then that plant needs a drink. So if it hasn't, if it's hot in the summer and it hasn't rained all week long, you can guarantee that your garden's going to need a drink. Excellent tip. So when you're planting, when you might receive a rose from a friend or um, mail order one, and it first arrives, um, what do you do for prepping the soil, the hole it goes in? Do you do anything to it? And do you bare root it? If it comes already in a pot with soil. If it comes in a pot with soil, I don't bare root it, but I usually will knock off some of the extra just so that I can see what the roots are doing. Um, If the plant is actively growing, Mm -hmm. I don't want to shock it by doing something like that. So I'm usually kind of careful with it. Generally, the roses that you get, if you're ordering them, come in very small pots. So the root system is limited. Mm -hmm. So chances are you're not going to have to do something like that. If you order, I know Texas Rose, uh, Antique Rose Emporium in Texas sells, sends two gallon pots. So their, their plants are multiple years old. I'll usually pull most of the soil off of those just to get a good look at what the roots are doing, just because they're more well-established plants. But the small ones, I'll usually just take them straight from the pot into the ground. Um, 
standard recommendations for planting a rose is the same as planting any other shrub. Um, the depth of the pot for the hole, twice or more wide, and good drainage. So um, mm -hmm. ideally, you want your entire bed to drain well rather than just amending the hole and like creating a bowl for it to sit in water if it's not going to drain. I'm really fortunate here is that the soil drains incredibly well. Our property has been a farm since the 1830s. So there've been a lot of animals enriching the soil here for us. Nice. So that, that brings me to the next care topic, okay. which is fertilizing. So do you um, add aged manure, um, a commercial fertilizer, and if so, what um, brands do you recommend? I use. I, ch I tend to use commercial fertilizer with 500 some roses here. Um, I need to get it done, and um, in the, I'll tell you exactly what I've done this year. Well, number one is I take care of my soil above all, so I prefer organic fertilizers. My latest one is by Fertrell. F-E-R-T-R-E-L-L. -L. And the reason is because my, you know, the Richmond Rose Society, which is my home rose society now, um, they, we put in a group order and then we just order what we want. So um, I order two 50-pound bags of their organic rose food and then I have two gallons of their fish emulsion. So in the spring, when the roses have broken bud and they're leafing out nicely, then they need fed. So everybody gets fertilizer and I water that in the, um, the commercial granular fertilizer. Mm -hmm. And you're just sprinkling yes, that around the roots. Exactly. Zone. And I'll, I'll scratch it in mm -hmm. or in the case of some of the beds this year, I needed to refresh the mulch. So I just put it down on top of the composted mulch considering that and then put more mulch on top of it and just kept going. Mm. And what it, and what are you using for your mulch? Is it a leaf compost, um, pine fines? I have a place down right up the road from me that does shredded hardwood. They have double shredded hardwood okay. and the price is good. So with, with a garden this large, good price above all. I did discover mm -hmm. that um, shredded, the, um, the shredded material from when we had some trees taken down a couple of years ago decays so quickly that that really wasn't worth the effort of having it be free. Um, it, it was wonderful compost and the weeds, oh my, my, my. So <laughs> yeah. I will not put that in the rose beds again. That was going to be, <laughs> that was going to be my next question is um, keeping the weeds down. So mulching with that yeah. shredded hardwood, obviously one of the ways you're doing it, but do you find yourself out there weeding a I lot? I find that prevention um, is, is better than anything. And I, I firmly believe in pre-emergent herbicide twice a year, spring and fall. It helps a lot. It's not 100%, but this country soil drains really well. It also has a bank of weed seeds, unlike anything I have ever seen in my life. I have one area that will grow pokeweed hmm. as if I planted it like a crop. So I have to be really, really careful. Yeah. It's kind of nice. I'll just, I walk the garden all the time anyway. So if I see a weed, if I pick it now, it won't get big and difficult to remove later. So I, I try to keep up with that. Hmm. And then um, pruning. So you're pruning in late winter, early spring yes. at the start of the and season. Pruning timing of pruning um, really depends on what kind of rose you are uh, you're working on the ramblers and the other roses that are spring blooming only um, I was told that those are more day length dependent as to when they're going to wake up so it's perfectly mm -hmm. safe to get out there at the end of January when we have we always have those beautiful warm days a couple of them at least in late January and you desperately want to get out and do something so cleaning up the garden and pruning the ramblers or some of the the gallicas or the hybrid chinas is a perfect thing to do under those circumstances and roses are easier to prune 
before they sprout their leaves. You can see what's going on. So, and then I move more toward the modern roses and I finish up with my hybrid tea collection that's in the front yard. Those are the last ones I do every year because those are the ones that are, they're most susceptible to freeze. So I want them to have as much wood as possible, as late as possible. It just in case it well, like we had a freeze this year, mm-hmm. a freakishly late May freeze. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, that part of the garden didn't stay cold long enough to freeze them solid. Other areas did, but there wasn't much damage, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. And should one of those roses say freeze on the top, um, would they return? Would they be root hardy or are they all grafted onto other? Um, Most of my roses stock? are not grafted. And part of it is because most of the heritage varieties are only available from boutique nurseries and most of them um, propagate by rooting cuttings. Otherwise, it's ones that I propagated mm-hmm. myself, whether it's like from friends, cuttings that are shared, roses I've rustled on the side of the road. You just never know. So a vast majority of these, if they're growing, if they're not grafted, um, are root hardy. I've got one in the front yard, no matter what the winter is like, it dies to the ground, just like a herbaceous perennial every single year. And it's called Leon Rose. It's from the the late 19th century. And every year it sprouts right back up and it's in beautiful full bloom out there right now. It's only about two feet tall, but that's okay. That's excellent. So you mentioned um, rose rustling. So I have just been reading about the Texas Rose Rustling Group. Um, Could you share some of those rose rustling adventures and what what a rose rustler does? It's it's a lovely romantic notion. I'm going to picture rustlers out there stealing things. What we're really doing (laughs) is we're preserving roses that grow out there. The Texas rose rustlers, I was a member of them for a while, just because, just so I could say that I was. Um, And it's a wonderful group of people that go on organized um, or organized outings and they ask permission in gardens and they get the stories from the gardeners about the roses. And that's part of what this is about. It's not just, yes, I have a piece of this plant, What's the story behind that plant? Um, In my case, I tend to look around while I'm driving. You just never know what you're going to find, especially this time of year when the spring blooming roses are flowering and they may not be flowering any time the rest of the year. Um, I just collected two roses off the side of the road last week that I I had my eye on them for a couple of years and I sort of realized that I needed to get them now before the highway department bush hogged the ditch again. And I don't know what their mm-hmm. stories are. One of them is one that I find, this is either the seventh or the eighth time I found this rose. It's the one that in commerce, we know it, it's called Shaler's Provence. It's very similar to the bishop. The, um, the color is lighter, but the habit is very, very similar. Um, And each time I think it's on the side of the road because it tends to spread by suckers and by tip rooting itself as it grows and the tip hits the ground and it spreads out of an area that may be overgrown out toward the sunshine. And that's where the the sunshine is next to the road, which is why I find it. And there was one growing about two miles from me in the ditch in front of an overgrown abandoned house and there's no one I can ask you know whose house is this what's the story of this rose so I'll just look it grows here and I'll keep that story with it Um, the other one is another rose that I found on the side of the road this is the third time I found that one we know it as banshee it is probably a hybrid damask but it's it's unmistakable once you know it pale pink grows tall, um, very fragrant, also very cold hardy. It's been found in Scandinavia and Canada. Yeah. Um, (laughs) This one grows in the ditch on Route 29 in Madison County. 
in front of an older house that it had to have spread from that garden and there's nobody around I could ask and honestly right even though I'm inclined to do that now's not exactly the time to knock on somebody's door unannounced in the time of stay-at-home COVID orders so I just I'll have to um, I'll have to just remember to try to hunt that down it's like why is this here but I just put the cuttings I just planted mm -hmm. the cuttings yesterday Marvelous. So, and then some, aside from old homestead sites, um, usually old cemeteries um, with the caretaker's permission um, is, is a, a oh, absolutely. very frequent You've site just said for my Rose favorite Rustling. word, cemeteries. I've, I've hung out in cemeteries since I was a kid. I used to take my kids to cemeteries and I, re I, I, I remember the feeling when I realized that there were gardens in cemeteries and roses were part of that. Um, I managed the, the, the rose collection at Hollywood cemetery in Richmond, Virginia. And I've done that for about 10 years. The idea is to document, document what's there, find out what, you know, who planted it when, if we possibly can. And most of the time we can't care for the plant that's there propagate it to ensure that it survives off-site sort of like your computers where you've got your backup in the cloud a lot of the roses that grow at hollywood cemetery also grow here because i've propagated them and i think one of the reasons why cemeteries are such a great place well older cemeteries that are not just grass and tombstones because if the cemetery mm -hmm. is if it's important to the cemetery to maintain the grass, chances are any garden plants that were there have been lost as a result. Um, Woodlands Cemetery outside of Philadelphia is a great example of that. It's still beautiful. The monuments are incredible and the trees are enormous, mm -hmm. but many of the garden plants are gone. Um, we're working very hard at Hollywood Cemetery to try to make sure that doesn't happen because a lot of these plants have survived we were talking earlier about replacing plants in your garden. You know, what's new, what's popular, what's going to be more wonderful than what I already have in a home garden. That usually didn't happen at the cemetery. Um, what I have found in a couple of instances, talking to descendants of the people who are buried on some of these lots that have roses is that the rose had some sort of a meaning to, in the one case, the man's grandmother. It was buried there. The plant was planted in 1920. That exact plant is 100 years old. Um, it's struggling, but it's still there. And we've propagated it so that it can continue. But you don't take grandma's favorite rose, plant it on the family lot in the cemetery, and replace it with something that's new and more wonderful. So that's one of the reasons why the heritage roses tend to persist there. Excellent. So I wanted to ask, and never, I know you're going to be like, oh. never, <laughs> but, um, so maybe to share with us one of your favorite roses oh, and the so story simple. behind I'm it. I'm not going to huff at you at all. I told this story probably a dozen okay. times to people, um, <laughs> at the open garden because the rose that it represents right now is an absolute riot of hot pink flowers. Um, you mentioned Nick. We're talking about Nick Weber um, in Maryland. Mm -hmm. I met Nick probably 15 or more years ago. Um, in addition to being a history freak, I'm also a collector. So I was studying the history of one of the, the hybridizers that was, uh, he worked for the USDA um, in Beltsville. It was um, Walter Van Fleet. And I was reading about the roses that he introduced. And one of them was a set of three roses named for three sisters. It was Alita Lovett, Mary Lovett, and Bess Lovett. Well, Alita and Bess Lovett were both available commercially, and I ordered them. But um, Alita and Mary, Bess was not available anywhere and appeared to be completely extinct. So I put a, I put a note on one hmm. of the um, forums. It was the old garden web before House took over. And 
you know, this is what I'm looking for. Does anybody know about Best Love It? Here comes Nick. He pops up and he says, I have a rose that I'm almost positive is Best Love It. And he's a real, he's a real student of the history of his roses, um, I found out later. And he told me about this plant that's a hot pink rambler that he, he, he collected it from the old USDA black spot trial grounds in Beltsville in the 1970s before they terminated the program and bulldozed the garden. He had permission to go in and collect whatever plants he wanted. And this particular one in the records was listed as just pink and Van Fleet. So pink was the color, Van Fleet was the hybridizer. And that's what he's always called it is pink Van Fleet. And he says, I'll send you cuttings. Would you like give me your address? Uh, the next week, I got the most beautiful package of 16 rose cuttings from this man I had never at that point wow. either spoken to in person or met. And that rose grows here, and I've shared it with a number of other people. So we did a bit more research. There is a plant of Best Love It that grows somewhere in Europe. I can't remember off the top of my head. And then Ann Belovich, who was the U.S. expert on ramblers, had it at one time, and it met, it met its demise at the hands of a lawn man, she said. And we've all compared notes and have Ugh. come to the conclusion that the rose that Nick saved from the bulldozer in the 1970s is the true best love it. So she's back in commerce because of Nick. That's so wonderful. And for listeners, Nick um, ran for years the Heritage Rosarium. Um, he still has an extensive rose collection on his property, and he opens it up usually on Memorial Day weekend, um, obviously not during this, this COVID period, but um, definitely be on the lookout for the next time uh, Nick opens up his it's, rose um, collection for touring. It is what my garden would, would aspires to be. It is the most wonderful place ever. And I think I'm probably, I'm probably prejudiced because I adore Nick personally. <laughs> He's such a sweetie. And um, I love going there and just photographing everything I can and just trying to keep those memories because I know, you know, in a couple of decades, no, we won't have that that's probably one of anymore. The things that when people come to visit, it's like, oh, well, what's going to happen when you're gone? Well, this is my gardener and it's my garden. And it's rare that a garden outlives the gardener and that's okay. Um, my husband, Steve and I have, we have a pact. Um, if I predecease him, he has two people he's supposed to phone and they will come take care of it for him. Mm -hmm. Whether if he wants to keep them fine, if he wants them gone and he sells the property, whatever, but at least the collection that I have here will be distributed among like-minded people and it'll be preserved. That's an excellent plan to have in place. And aside <laughs> yes. from your 500 plus roses, you, you um, keep yourself and Steve very busy restoring your ho historic home, which um, dates to 1848. And I love following along on your Instagram, which is also at Heartwood Roses. Um, with the photos you share of the before and after and your projects. Oh, I have so um, much fun on Instagram. I, I blogged for 10 years and I, I discovered that it became a chore to collect, you know, to, to download my photos and to edit them and to write and to edit. I can achieve the same thing and share the same sorts of things immediately from my phone out in the yard. And it's the most wonderful in the moment thing. So, on my Instagram, you never really know whether it's going to be roses or cats, dogs, what did I cook, um, or house projects. It's, um, it, it's a reflection of who I am and all the varied interests that I have. 
Yeah, it makes it so much more personal and just to get to know somebody just through their Instagram posts is is a lovely way to keep in touch when we're so busy these days. One of the things I was surprised is that there's so many different support, back to community support, there's a bunch of different supportive communities within Instagram. The old house people, or we're always trading tips back and forth. The gardening people, um, it's that we've formed kind of community. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, our virtual community that luckily was in place and is kind of, you know, saving some of oh, our agreed, sanity during agreed. these stay at home times. And I know that I'm using Instagram every morning kind of as that substitute virtual garden tour <laughs> to be able to get out and see you since I'm not able to come in person and visit so many of our local public gardens and some oh, yeah. of, some well, of was, my friends' gardens as well. I was out photographing well. the Ramblers um, right before we started this because the light was good and they're, they're blooming beautifully out there because I'm sharing an awful lot. I'm, probably, I'm sharing more garden views this year because we can't get out and just visit gardens. So let's do it virtually. Um, you don't get quite the same feel for it because mm-hmm. it, it's very much a multi-sensory experience but at least we can see it Mm -hmm. that's so true obviously you don't get that fragrance you don't get to touch them and feel them and have that 3d experience but um, yeah i was really i was glad to see one of the last roses to start to bloom here is called american pillar it's another rose that walter van fleet hybridized and I wasn't sure what to do with something that was going to get that huge. And I thought about it, and I planted it underneath a cedar tree. It's now 30 feet up that tree. It's kind of a heap at the bottom of the tree on the wow. south side. And then it's, it has scrambled through the canopy of the tree, and it peeks out to the sunny spots. And you don't even notice it up there until it's blooming with its bright hot pink flowers and i i gave a we'll say a kind of a lame attempt at a up the tree video so we'll see after we finish here i'll post it and we'll we'll see how it goes (laughs) i i can't wait to see that um so while we're winding up our chat today are there any last pieces of rose advice we talked so much about this and I'm, i'm really hoping that Perhaps we've tempted some people to want to try some heritage roses in their own gardens. So where to get them is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, I've already, already I've already touched on the fact that you probably have to order them online. And that's okay. Don't be afraid of that. The best place online to find a rose that you're looking for is a website called Help Me Find. All one word. Um, helpmefind.com slash roses. It's a, it's a research Ooh. site. It's an, it's, it's an encyclopedia. It's a database and you can look these roses up by name and then it'll tell, it'll give you photos, user submitted photos, comments, but it will also have references, historic references cited, um, gardens, members who have listed this this rose in their garden so if you've got a question about it you could contact another member and my favorite tab is the buy from and you have nurseries that list themselves as having that rose in stock so if this um i was looking for what was i i was looking for yellow metabolis today for a friend in texas and i thought who has this so i went to help me find looked up yellow metabolis buy from and there were about half a dozen nurseries listed right there what an excellent resource Just regular so find.com backslash roses yeah helpmefind.com slash roses oh regular mm-hmm. slash sorry roses oh it's it's it is it excellent. is a time suck so. of oh my don't go there unless you want to waste some time <laughs> 
Yeah, because I, I was thinking as soon as we're done, <laughs> I'm going to jump on there. And I've already jotted down just from our short conversation, Robin Hood. And um, I think Excellent. I'm going to try a few more Excellent. of the Ramblers. Well, as I can squeeze um, in the space, of when course. It, as you're narrowing <laughs> down your list, just ask me and I'll let you know which ones tend to be a little more mannerly. There are ones that are going to want to try to strangle you in your bed. And the only way, and this is what I want to impress <laughs> upon people more than anything, is that the only way to really learn about this and see how things are going to do for you is to take a chance and try it. You can't be guaranteed of success and it might flop, but your $15 rose is the only thing you've got in this. And it could be just wonderful. And I've had that happen so many times. Grow a rose I'd never seen before, never heard of before, and it turns out to be wonderful. And Robin Hood was one of those. I was ordering from one of the nurseries, and I ordered Robin Hood and Maid Marian together. Um, Robin Hood is red, Maid Marian is white. <laughs> And a perfect match. right now, Maid Marian is peeking out, sort of you know, screaming, help me, out from underneath one side of Robin Hood. So he's going to need a haircut next year. But he's so glorious right now. I just don't have the heart to do it. And Connie, I would say that's excellent advice, not just for roses, but for all of gardening is to try things that you haven't tried before experiment and you just never know um, which plants will exactly. be successful sometimes uh, that will surprise it. you well thank you so much connie for sharing your well, rose lore and your rose knowledge with us Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Plant Profile, Hardy Water Lily. The classic beauty of the water lily brings a hint of the tropics to backyard gardens. These easy-to-grow aquatic bloomers can be raised in containers without drainage holes or small ponds. Water lilies come in an array of colors from pale white, cream, and yellow to the more vibrant pinks, blues, and purples. Hardy water lily pads are pea green, round, and are thick, almost rubber-like. A few great choices are the native white water lily, Nymphia odorata, which is stunning and has a wonderful fragrance. The hardy pink water lily pink beauty, also known as Fabiola, can often have multiple blooms at once. The yellow hardy water lily Texas Dawn has a light lemon fragrance, long blooming season, and can take a touch of shade. Water lilies are sun lovers. Five hours of direct sun is the minimum they need for them to flower. Plant your water lily tubers in a pot using regular clay garden soil. You don't have to plant the tubers deep, but you should cover the surface of the soil with pebbles or pea gravel. This will keep the soil from dispersing in the water as you submerge the pots between one or two feet below the water surface. Water lilies prefer growing in still water and don't like to be constantly splashed, so keep them away from waterfalls or spraying fountains. Water lilies are heavy feeders, so you should fertilize them regularly. Using a fertilizer tablet made for aquatic plants. Do this at the time of planting and once a month thereafter throughout the growing season. Tropical water lilies do not overwinter here in the mid-Atlantic and need to be brought in. Whereas hardy water lilies can stay in your water garden through the cold months. I cut mine back after the first frost and push its pot to the deepest section of my small pond. Hardy water lily, you can grow that.
For this week's What's Blooming in the Garden segment, I thought I'd share some of the native plants that have just jumped into bloom in the last week in my garden, just in time for those native bees and pollinators to swoop down and enjoy them. First is penstemon. I have a large patch and growing larger um, in my median hill strip slash sidewalk garden. Um, that one is just lovely right now with pale pink, pink blooms. Um, in my side yard, in a dry shade situation of all places, I have the false indigo bush and that has grown to about 12 foot tall so I can actually see it better from my second story bedroom window and the purple inflorescence that come out from the top are just buzzing right now with bees. A third native plant that I am so enjoying right now is Louisiana iris and that's planted in a tub at the edge of my water garden um, so it's submerged at kind of the first level I would call it of the side of the pond and it actually reseeded itself into a pot on the other side of the little pond so I was happy to see that come up and bloom also in this last week and then two final natives that I'm just loving right now are two different Amsonia Amsonia Hubrechti and Amsonia Tabernay Montana um, they're both known as Blue Star they're both small shrubby herbaceous plants um, with wonderful um, flowers covering them right now and then they'll give way to just ferny kind of um, spring foliage and then the fall they come roaring back with a beautiful blaze of color so those are some of the native plants blooming in my garden this week share with me what's blooming for you you can get in contact with me through the blog through leaving a message on the podcast link or just stop by um, any of my social media channels. Let's talk Crocs. I'm not talking about the reptile i'm talking about the footwear that are popular among fellow gardeners chefs and now teenagers so um i have to say up front that crocs is not paying me anything i wish they were <laughs> but i've been a long time fan of wearing crocs out in the garden and just wanted to share some of the reasons why i love crocs so much um and my joy at seeing that they are a top trend now among uh, teen fashionistas and I think that in part has to do with how easy wear they are but the fact that they are kind of so ugly they're cute um, personally I'd rather see ugly shoes on people's feet than some of the feet that I've seen in flip-flops and exposed in sandals so if there was a choice to be made between the two, I'd much rather see um, some of those feet inside a croc. Um, crocs are antimicrobial. They're easy to clean. You can just hose them off and hang them to dry or just flip them over. Um, I, they're so easy to slip on and off when you're coming in and out from the garden. And usually it's nice to have several pair because one um, could be thrown into a bag Another could be out at your garden shed. Another pair could be sitting in your garden plot waiting for you when you come home from work in, say, your dress shoes. So you can just slip those on and have them on. And um, I will confess, I was not the earliest adopter of, of Crocs. The first few times I saw people wearing them, I just thought, ugh, no. But I tried them on with an open mind. And I will say that's all it took is <laughs> one afternoon of wearing them, borrowing them from a friend uh, when I had visited her garden on a very rainy day. So if you're not a Crocs fan, I invite you to, you know, at least try them on, borrow them from a friend as I did, see how the experience works for you. And I bet you'll be a Croc convert too. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter 
by going to anchor.fm backslash Kathy gents backslash support. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can become a listener supporter and we'll give you a shout out in a future episode. Another way to support Garden DC is to go to WashingtonGardener.com and subscribe to Washington Gardener magazine. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.